Today is Thursday, October 13th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 482 featuring Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Celtics season preview edition of Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, we're always here. But Chris Mannix, Chris Mannix joining us from Sports Illustrated. And uh, Chris, I-, I want you to know, Evan, he he left his parents' anniversary dinner. He just left them yeah. eating at the table. He rushed out of the restaurant because it was so important to him to be part of this live show with you. Well, I appreciate that. I have a... Uh, no I pressure. Realized, actually, I just realized last week my my parents... 50th anniversary is next year so i've already got to start thinking about what oh, exactly yeah. i'm going to get them for for that. that's a big one that's a big oh, one. you gotta, gotta plan something you can't just show up yeah yeah i gotta plan something significant yeah that's one where you you gotta collaborate with other family members and maybe throw a little bit of a party get a nice cake with like their wedding photo you know image on nah, it I, I, my, my solution to most things is to throw money at a problem so i'm just gonna send them somewhere <laughs> like that's that's it's usually my, yeah. And I've got like three jobs. So it's worth like just spending money, just throwing it, send them to Italy or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's why we work, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. just so that we can avoid doing some things ourselves. <laughs> I, 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 I work so that I can pay someone else to mow my lawn. That's, <laughs> isn't that how it's supposed to work? Yeah. Uh, my advice, Chris, is just don't leave your anniversary dinner early, whatever you end up doing. Just don't do that. <laughs> Especially for a podcast. That's just not a good idea. Yeah, it's probably not the best luck. But nevertheless, we're glad that we're all here. If anybody has any questions, shout them out, YouTube, Twitter, whatever. We'll see them as best we can and react. If uh, time depending, and, and you know, we'll have Chris here with us for a little while, but time depending, I've got some Twitter submissions already from the last couple of days that we'll try and mix in also. But uh, Chris, you ever see uh, Hot Tub Time Machine, by the way? I know this is not Celtics related, but it's a relevant question. I have not seen it. I know the premise, but I have not seen the movie. Oh, uh, see, it, well, it's a direct reference to the movie. I was going to say that you're you're kind of our 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 great white buffalo, you know, to, or you know, we we haven't we 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 haven't had you on with the on the show with us for a couple of years. You're you're the great white buffalo for this program. Wow, oh, I'm glad to be back on right now. It's yeah. good to have you. Uh, we want to obviously start with. Uh, well, uh, several different components of your cover story for Sports Illustrated, Men on a Mission, about the Celtics. For anyone that missed it, uh, by all means, you know, check it out. It's it's all over the place on Twitter, but you can go right to Chris's Twitter page and and see the link and jump in and read it. It's uh, it's not a super long read. It's interesting. It's uh, it, it's really you know you hear you see a lot of the guys talking about obviously the NBA Finals and and coping since and the attitude going into a new season. So again, a lot of jumping off points from that but the first reaction that I had uh before even reading the article and before I even knew you were attached to it just seeing the photo that was floating around of you know our I don't know if we're supposed to call them the big three but it's it's Tatum on one side and it's it's Brown on the other side and it's smart in the middle and closer up and he's pointing out like I'm doing the camera right now very reminiscent of the KG Pierce Allen SI cover photo of, you know, a decade plus ago, but you guys had to, I just started laughing. Like you guys had to know how much putting smart in the middle, you know, right up front was going to trigger some people on social media. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't have too much to do with the framing of the cover. I can tell you how it was kind of put together. I mean, we initially wanted to put uh, Tatum and Brown together on the cover because the theme of the issue is like the revenge tour of Mm. key players and teams in the NBA. Howard Beck, my colleague, wrote a great piece on Zion Williamson um, that's in the magazine. And, you know, for Jalen Brown, the obvious storylines of, you know, once again talked about being traded for Jason Tatum, the hundred turnovers, the bad finals, you know, a bounce back for him. But, you know, in talking to the Celtics and when they talked to Tatum and Brown, it was became clear that they wanted Smart to be included uh, in that mix. And look, it makes sense. I mean, if you want to continue with the theme, I mean, Marcus Smart went into this offseason with a lot of people questioning whether he was the right guy to be the primary playmaker. A lot of people wondering what this team was going to look like with Malcolm Brogdon into the mix. So I had no problem with it, with all three of those guys together. In fact, I think it makes it even better to have them in the mix. Now, how it's framed like that, I mean, that's I leave that up to our photographer and our photography department. They they decide what to do and and how to frame these guys. I just try to write the uh the story. But I thought it came together in a pretty compelling way. It was a it was a good looking cover. Oh, it's a great cover, and it's it's a lot of fun. And look, I, I've been saying for years he's the de facto captain of this team anyway, and it, the only thing that's missing is literally the captaincy on the jersey that it seemed like at the beginning of last year Ime Odoka was about to give him anyway, and then he you know was late for that flight, and everything kind of went to hell with people having captains in the first place on that team. But the uh, among the takeaways with the article, you start off in, in talking about a, a very descriptive view of what the garden was like in the aftermath of losing in the finals to the Warriors and the, you know, the Golden State being right down the hall and the noise that would travel from their locker room to the other and the Celtics hearing everything and just how emotional the scene it was and how upsetting, obviously, that was for them to go through it in general, losing in the finals, but obviously doing so on their own floor and in, in their own building, all of that. How, in talking to these players, and people, again, should read the article, but for those who haven't, how motivating an experience specifically that, that moment, do you think that was going into the new year? I think it was very motivating as they entered the offseason. Um, you know, when I set out to to write this piece, the – the, my immediate thought was that post-game reaction because I remember before game six talking to some staffers there and the response being like, just don't lose at home. Don't lose in game six because, you know, as you guys know, the proximity of the road locker room and the home locker room, it's not down the hall. It's directly across the hall. Like it's right there. You're on top of each other in that hallway. And I, I know from you know, experience from like regular season games and things like that, that you can hear everything like, and a championship celebration is going to be overheard by all those players. So when I talked to Jason Tatum and Al Horford and Marcus Smart and Rob Williams, um, it came up a lot, like just kind of sitting there in their lockers, hearing things that were going on across the hall, kind of feeling things really because loud music kind of reverberates through the door and through the floor. And there's just a lot of, a lot of things you can feel. Um, yeah, I, I knew that would be something that would stick with them. And it did it turned out like these guys all talked about how 
it was the kind of memory that was really burned into their brains for 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 months and and helped kind of fuel them going into the offseason. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the things that I kind of chuckle at, and again, I think you did a really good job in this piece detailing this, Chris, is, you know, I heard Simmons say, I think months ago, it's like, I, you know, I, I haven't heard from Tatum, you know, or Brown or like how pissed they are that they lost the finals. And, and it's one thing to read it in text. And it's one thing to be the person conducting the interview, having the conversation with everybody that you talked to about the piece. You know, does it seem like to you? I mean, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to kind of point this out, but I just wanted it to be out there so the people that question this, that whether they question that Tatum and Brown and Smart and et cetera are all motivated properly for the season. Does it seem like from speaking with everybody, Chris, that everybody's kind of pissed off they lost this thing, or is this just word salad to make uh, amends and appease everybody out there? No, they they were pretty pissed off, and it wasn't just their words that convinced me. I mean, after talking to them, I, I spent some time calling people they worked out with, calling personal trainers, calling family members, and just trying to get a feel for, you know, how this offseason was different. And it just seemed like everyone that I talked to um, got into how each player attacked areas of their game that came up a little bit short or were potential vulnerabilities. For example, we know that Tatum had all those turnovers in the, in the postseason. That was a kind of a pox on his game during the postseason. Well, the time he spent with Kevin Durant this off season was not just about playing one-on-one and working out with another elite score, but learning things from Durant specifically how Durant protected the ball when he faced up in isolation, Durant is really good at not just keeping the ball away from defenders when he faces up, but not giving the ball up when he goes to the rim, which was a problem for Tatum at times during the playoffs uh, last year. So Tatum kind of locked in on that for Marcus smart. You know, he told me he studied a lot of tape of drew holiday and how drew holiday found a way to help maximize the strengths of the stars on his roster, specifically Giannis and Chris Middleton. That He viewed that as his role with Milwaukee, and Smart talked about taking that into this season with the Celtics. Al Horford, like it wasn't so much about Al's game, but when I talk to Al, it's like he's just talking about his body and making sure his body is at the best, in the best condition it can possibly be at 36 years old to survive another eight-month slog, if that's what it comes to, with the Celtics this season. So, Look, there was the natural feeling pissed off, feeling angry, wanting to get back. And that's what they did with it. It's how they took that anger, that frustration, and turned it into a positive, turned it into a way to kind of shore up whatever weaknesses they thought they had uh, headed into this season. You had mentioned your article, too, while staying on Jason Tatum, just some of the questions surrounding him in terms of does he have a higher ceiling? Does he have another level he can go to? I think a lot of people out there would like to believe he does. I certainly believe that he does. I mean, he's still a kid. He's still entering his prime in the grand scheme of things. Do you believe that that there's another, you know, a next level version of, of Jason Tatum? And, and if so, what's involved in that? Yeah, I think there is. Um I think the next level, quite frankly, is MVP, not MVP conversation. He's already in that. It's winning MVP. And I see no reason to believe why, if he's healthy, he shouldn't be in the mix right there, top three or four, 
at the end of the season, you think about it. I mean, he's improved offensively virtually every single year. I mean, he had what the seventh highest scoring average in Celtics history last year. Um, And you can see where he can improve. Like he can improve his free throw rate. He can keep those turnovers down. Um, You know, the three point shooting is going to continue to come along. The, wrinkles to his game whether it's a post-up game mid-range game that Kobe Bryant stuff he likes to do that's all going to continue to develop he's become a better defensive player every single year always had the physical tools but has really started to put them together over the last couple of years like I I honestly believe that you know we're working on our predictions right now for for si.com for you know individual awards I'm feeling pretty good about saying Tatum can be MVP this year like I, hmm. the Celtics going to be really good. Tatum, I think, is going to take another step. But if he does, he's going to be the best player on maybe the best team in the NBA. And those guys tend to win MVP or at least be yeah. high up in the uh, in the conversation. So I absolutely think there's there's another level to him, and I think he's going to hit that level this season. How about yeah. his co-star Jalen Brown in terms of the obviously all the off-season drama being attached to Kevin Durant and trade rumors, as you outlined in your article previously, being attached to Kawhi Leonard, to Anthony Davis. You know, these conversations have existed kind of on and off for years. And I know that, well, Emeo Doka, the coach at the time, and Brad Stevens, they met with Jalen and sort of smoothed everything over if there was anything, any way to specifically to smooth over, but it's I don't know. Part of me kind of looks at it, and I don't know Jalen on any sort of personal level, but it's is he ready to move forward completely? Hey, what's done is done, or is it kind of a little bit of, you know, forgive, don't forget? You know, how personally motivating is all of that for him this year to go out and kind of get his? Not to not to the detriment of the team or anything like that, but to, to really show to everybody else, like, what the hell are you guys doing putting me in that conversation to begin with? Yeah, I do think there's some of that to Jalen Brown this year. Um, look, Jalen's probably not going to say it, but you know, I've had people tell me that the trade rumors this offseason bothered him more than the trade rumors in previous offseasons. And it's understandable. I mean, Jalen Brown, if you look at just the post-January 1st numbers, Jalen mm-hmm. Brown was great, You know, as most of the Celtics were. Once you got if past... If they won, he would have been finals MVP. Yeah, I mean, but even beyond that, like once you got past the... Uh, awfulness of the first two months of the season where there were injuries, illnesses, COVID issues, adjusting to Ime Udoka, Jalen Brown's numbers took off. Like after the all-star break, I think he was shooting like 50% from the floor, mid to high forties from three point range. And as you said, if they had won the finals, Jalen Brown probably would have been the finals MVP. Takes a couple of weeks off and all of a sudden he wakes up and here he is once again in trade rumors involving uh, Kevin Durant. And look, Jalen's a smart guy. Like, Whatever the Celtics are, are are saying publicly, he knows that if they're talking to the Nets about Kevin Durant, passively or directly, they're talking about him. Like he would be in a trade for Durant. I think that was frustrating uh, for Jalen Brown. I, I don't think there's much of a carryover though going into this season because I think Jalen Brown sees what this team can be. You know, he sees the addition they made with Malcolm Brogdon. He sees how this team played since January 1st, he sees a pathway even without Ime Odoka to hit the ground running with this team, get off to a really good start. And look, Jalen Brown's got his own, his eye on his own individual awards. He wants to be an all-star again. He certainly wants to be all NBA. Um, And I think he's got the talent to be in that mix. So a a different conversation is, you know, two years from now, what does this team do about Jalen Brown? Is that going to be a problem? 
Maybe. But for this year, I think Jalen's completely focused on on winning with this team because I think he sees what this team can be. You know, he certainly showed it in the first couple of preseason games. It looks like he's on fire right now. I mean, it's the one thing about Jalen that I really love is the fact that he can go in an off season, you know, get in the gym. You know, and in the past, I used to love when he would make his, you know, video series for YouTube and come out with a bunch of them. You could see the amount of work that he was putting in day in and day out. I thought that was wonderful. And now that, you know, he's, you know, in his what, sixth NBA season now, I have lose track of numbers at this point, but he's, he's a veteran at this point. You've just seen the growth over the past couple of years. You're like, yeah, this guy's absolutely the type of guy that you'd want as a, uh, a, a quote unquote number two to, to Tatum's number one. But they, they've, They've put together a roster, Chris, that just makes a lot of sense. And, again, you, I, I, I go back to your piece. I just love the camaraderie. You know, it feels like, even with Brogdon and Blake, and Blake more recently, that this team, it feels like they've been together a long time. Now, some of them have, some of them haven't. But just the camaraderie here, is that, like, palpable when you're in the room? Like, yeah, these guys, they're clearly focused on a mission. Everybody's on the same page. Just go back to, you know, last year, two years ago. You go back to last offseason – we're going into the season of this is without question Tatum's team, Browns number two. This is has this has never been the case before. It seems like in all the interviews from Media Day and all the stuff between sense, it seems like everybody knows the role, everybody knows what the mission is, everybody knows where they need to go and, and basically how to get there. The camaraderie seems like a well oiled machine at this point. Yeah, the last time this team had expectations like this was that eighteen nineteen season. And you know, there were obvious questions coming in. We didn't know how big they'd be, what Kyrie and Gordon Hayward being reintegrated, but those were were obvious, you know, things to wonder about. This team doesn't have that. I mean, take Malcolm Brogdon, for example. I mean, Al Horford spent a lot of time this offseason working with Brogdon. One of the things I brought up to Al during our conversation was, are you at all concerned about, you know, kind of a guy that's been a three-year starter in Indiana stepping into a reserve role? in Boston and, and Brogdon now look, he, he, he kind of felt like he worked his way out of that role in Milwaukee feels like he's a starter in this league. And, you know, one thing Al told me was that during their off season workouts, the only conversation or the only subject coming from Brogdon was how do I help this team win? What can I do? Like, how do I fit into this group? There's no question who the starting point guard is. It's Marcus smart. Brogdon has said this publicly and he's right. There's going to be a lot of times during games, maybe end of games, where it's Brogdon and Marcus Smart on the floor together, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe more so now with Rob Williams out for for at least a couple of months. So he's going to get plenty of opportunities, and I don't sense there's any, you know, uh, potential issue there with Brogdon fitting into the rotation. And that's really the only question. Everybody else kind of slides seamlessly back into their roles, the roles that they embraced and thrived in from January on of last year. That's why I have a lot of confidence that this is the type of team that, look, it's not going to be like the, what was it, the 07-08 Celtics where they get off to like a 27-3 start or whatever number right. it was. But I do think they can get off to a spectacular start, whether it's like 18-5, and 22-7, that type of, of start where they um, look very quickly like one of the best teams in basketball. Let's take a quick break. We'll get right back to Chris, but want to shout out our partner, our sponsor, our good friends at Bet Online. Football's back, of course. Bet Online is your top source for all your football betting needs. You'll always find the latest football odds, matchup info, player news, game trends. It's all available to you at Bet Online. Again, that's betonline.ag. Check out that website. 
your continued source for all sports wagering information. Bet online even has live betting, free contests, live scores, giveaways all season long, truly endless options. And it's not just limited to football. Clearly, there's basketball futures you could be considering right now. Hockey season just got underway. Baseball playoffs are going on. Golf, that's still a thing. MMA, tennis, you name it, it's all there for you. Head to betonline.ag, join up, receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code. It is CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Again, CLNS50, that promo code for BetOnline. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, let's get back to the show. Once upon a time, Chris, and it wasn't that long ago, uh, really only a month and change, Danilo Gallinari was healthy. Rob Williams wasn't having surgery to start the year, and Ime Odoka was the head coach. Now, obviously, potentially no Gallinari all year, and I, I think that's very likely. Uh, Rob is, like you said, out at least a couple months, and there's no Ime, and there won't be Ime again, as far as I'm concerned. Joe Missoula, I know you're very high on him. You've talked about him being a rising star in this league, him being a finalist for the Jazz job. Uh, obviously, all the players in that room speak glowingly about him. We've been talking a lot about him the last couple of weeks in terms of what are the expectations for Joe, but I guess, you know, maybe to frame it a little differently with you here, do you see any drop-off from Emei and what he did last year to Joe now? And I'm not talking wins-losses. I'm talking about, you know, expectations within that room for what the talent is, what they can be, and how he's going to run this ship. I think if there are questions, they won't be able to be answered till the playoffs. Frankly, I, I just, I don't think that this team, I mean, look, this team figured out its identity in the first couple of months. They went through their trials and tribulations in the first two months of the season and they got past them and it was smooth sailing from January on basically. And I think that's the team that's coming back this year. Um, the playoffs are a different story. I mean, Joe Missoula is incredibly bright. He had a lot to do with this team's defense, which was the best in the NBA and the best in the NBA by a country mile in the second half of the season. Um, he's 34 years old though. Like, <laughs> and you get to the postseason and you're in high pressure situations and you're, you know, talking about a coach whose previous head coaching experience came at Fairmont state. Like it's, these are just realities of the situation. Now, maybe Joe is going to grow on the job, during the year, I think it's a decent chance of that because, again, he's a really smart guy and really uh, uh, well-regarded guy across the NBA. But these are questions you just can't answer until you get to high-pressure situations in the postseason. This team has the, has the ability, regardless of who's coaching it, to be a great regular season team because they know who they are. The playoffs, though, we saw the Game 7s Boston went to. We saw the, the pressure situations, the adjustments that need to be made. That's where we're going to find out um, – who Joe Missoula really is. You know, with that, with that in mind, Chris, you know, you have a lot of people and I've, I've kind of pushed back on this just because I think the idea of it's a little absurd. Like this team can just like they're the Warriors and can coast to the regular season and seating doesn't matter. And, you know, they'll just play who they play in the playoffs, whether it's on the road or at home, whatever, like it doesn't matter. It's all about health. And I kind of find that to be kind of ridiculous because, you know, if you're golden state and you've won four titles and, you know, you've been there, done that. I mean, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but for a team like Boston in a loaded Eastern Conference, I would try and get all the advantages I could get. I mean, you're still a relatively young team. You have some veterans on it. You have a new head coach. And last year you had a brand new head coach who had no head coaching experience, and that worked out okay. 
but you can't just assume that's going to happen again this season. For the people out there that are like, hey, yeah, why don't we just – and I, again, I'm not saying that we sh- that the Celtics should not worry about the health of Al Horford and monitoring his minutes and monitoring the health of Rob Williams and his minutes when he comes back. I'm not saying – I'm not saying that. My point being, yeah, you got to monitor that, but at the same time, Chris, don't you kind of have to try and get to the top three, four, two, and, you know, heaven forbid, first seed in the, in the East to try and give yourself as many advantages as you possibly can? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Look, they beat Milwaukee in the second round in part because Chris Middleton wasn't there, but they needed that home court in Game Seven to win that Game Seven. Um, I, I think that having home court is something they should prioritize. You know, during the regular season, um, I think you can have a bit of a balancing act. Like you don't want to play Al Horford. I mean, to me, sixty sixty five games is a good number for Al Horford this year because you want to keep him fresh and able to play 35 minutes per game if necessary in the postseason. So you want to give him breaks. And Rob Williams, because of his history of knee injuries, you don't want to run the risk of him potentially re-aggravating that injury and not being available or being quasi-available in April and May. But you want to find a way to win. Like You don't want to be the fourth seed going into the playoffs, not in this conference where the teams above you might be Milwaukee, which has a great home court advantage, might be Miami, which plays really well at home, might be Philadelphia, which has a great home court advantage. The East is loaded at the top this year. And just being able to play a game seven on your home floor might ultimately make the difference. Now, just one thing on the front court, like that's that to me, personnel-wise, is the biggest question, right? Because Gallinari's out probably for the rest of the season. Um the Blake Griffin signing was interesting to me because, look, Blake's more versatile than some of the other bigs that were available. But my first thought went to Dwight Howard because mm-hmm. you don't have a traditional five-man anyway. I mean, Rob's a five, but he's a shot-blocking type of five. Al's or, uh, uh, Dwight is, is you know kind of the big interior defender. And you look at the conference, even before the injury to Rob, you're looking at Joel Embiid. You're looking at Milwaukee's front line. You're looking at Miami's front line. You're looking at the physical teams that are out there. And I thought Dwight, who in the last couple of years has really done well to embrace a reserve role, might be more useful than Blake Griffin will be uh, with this team. Now, the Celtics have earned the benefit of the doubt because they've made good personnel move after good personnel move of the last couple of years. But I look at that size and that front line, that makes me a little bit nervous given the size of some other teams in the conference. I don't know if you guys caught any of the, uh, what is it, the Certified Smoke, I think is the show on Showtime, that uh, Kevin Durant, or uh, Durant, Kevin Garnett was on it the other day. I don't know if he's always on it, but they were talking about ranking teams in the Eastern Conference, and Paul Pierce was there too, and Pierce was really caught off guard because Garnett said he wouldn't even put Boston right now in the top four in the East. He had, uh, in in no particular order anyway, uh, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly, and Cleveland now with Donovan Mitchell. Now, part of his logic was just what we're talking about. No Rob Williams for however long. At, you know, he's going, no GM future for KG. He's he's saying they got to go out and sign like Dwight and Boogie Cousins. Like just load up on the big men. Uh, but I don't know if you're looking at it right now going into the season, like you said, you're in, you're in the midst of putting your predictions together for SI. Where do you put Boston and what is a very deep conference? Right now I'd have them at number two behind Milwaukee. Um, Look, it's not unfair to the Celtics to say that if Chris Middleton had been healthy, things might have turned out differently in that series. He's that valuable uh, to the Bucks, And 
they bring him back. Uh, they add Joe Ingles to that mix. They make a couple of minor moves on the outside. They'll probably make one more, I think, before the trade deadline. Like they're they're sharp. Like the core of that team that won a championship a couple of years ago, that's intact, and that's the team that would probably scare me the most. I mean, everybody else does scare you, but they're not reliable yet. Like if you're calling Brooklyn reliable right now, you've got unflinching <laughs> faith in the ability of Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant, I think at times, especially early in the season is going to be the one that pulls their fat out of the fire because he is still so great. Um, you know, Ben Simmons has had some good games, had some bad games, but I mean, come on, like you got Simmons and Kyrie who have the last couple of years have been wholly unreliable. I, I don't know how you can just bank on them to be a top four team right now. Uh, same thing to a degree with Philadelphia. I like what they did this off season. PJ Tucker made sense. Max, he's a year older, but Let's see what Harden is first, right? Let's see if he's the guy we saw during that first year in Brooklyn, or is he more kind of the 75% of Harden that we saw for most of last year uh, in Philly? So, and Cleveland, uh, they're not ready. That, that That's a really good team in like two years. They're not ready right now. They're just not on that level, I think, just yet. So I'm pretty confident in the Celtics' ability to be a top two, at worst, a top three team in the Eastern Conference, even without Rob Williams out, even with Rob Williams out until what, December, let's say. Uh, I still think they have enough talent to be, you know, 50 plus wins and in that top two or three range. Chris, unless uh, unless we glossed over it, I'm not even sure we mentioned the name Grant Williams yet. And it's a popular talking point right now with obviously Monday and we're sitting here on, on a Thursday, Monday being the extension uh, deadline before the season to lock him up. Now the reports as recently as today, first B-Rob and then Himmelsbach saying that uh, one, no deal is expected before Monday and now, Himmelsbach's given us a little bit closer idea, theoretically, of what uh, Grant Williams' price tag could be. He's supposedly seeking 14 to $16 million. I always thought around 12 over four years, coming in 48 50 whatever it was going to be over four, was it felt low. It felt like he was going to command more. He could do better than that. Uh, and now we're finding out that maybe he's going to bet on himself and, and try and do just that. I think there are some people getting panicked that the Celtics are going to lose him now, forgetting that... He is a restricted free agent. Whatever he is offered, you know, in RFA time, Celtics can match. I think they probably will match unless it gets totally out of control. What What do you think this ultimately is is going to settle at, and is he in Boston long term? It's hard to say if it gets resolved by Monday. All I can say is that the Celtics should find a way to resolve it by Monday because I feel like given the opportunity – that Grant Williams is going to have this year. He's going to get an even more expanded role early on with Rob Williams out. He's going to get maybe even more minutes that Al Horford was going to get with Danilo Gallinari now out. He's going to put up some numbers. And it just feels like if he gets to free agency next summer, where there's a lot of teams out there with cap space, somebody's going to make him an offer that makes the Celtics flinch. And it's going to be higher than what Grant Williams is asking for right now. I mean, I he's one of those guys where even if you're a couple million per year apart, I would bite the bullet and I would pay him because it uh, unless something goes wrong for Grant Williams, he's going to have a monster year statistically. The team's going to rely on him a lot. Um, and there's going to be a robust market for a rebounding, defending, three-point shooting, versatile big. There just is. A guy that can play multiple positions. There's going to be a team out there that might say, you know what? Maybe he's worth $18, 19000000 million per year to our team. Maybe he fits in 
that well with our group. I, I feel like the Celtics, even if they overpay now for Grant Williams, um, they'll save money on the back end because of what Grant Williams can command next summer. Yeah, and again, you look at what P.J. Tucker just got. Isn't that kind of the guy a lot of people try and compare him to? I mean, a guy that's just rock solid from the corners, uh, just a gritty defensive player, moves the basketball around. And, and the one thing that we've seen is, you know, Grant has added a little bit to his game in the offseason. We know his, you know, he's his, you know, shooting trainer, his shooting coach, the the least shooter, uh, has done wonders with him over the over the past year and plus. And, and Grant's become extremely reliable. Um, you saw in the finals, you know, Golden State got him off his sweet spots a little bit. He's little, uh, not not as great from the from the wing spots. I'm sure he's worked on that amongst other things. But you know, when you value defense like Boston does, and you value switchable defensive you know defensive players like a Smart or a Brogdon or a Tatum or a Brown, like you're gonna obviously at some point. I think it's gonna come to the point where they're gonna end up signing him. Um, I agree with Chris in terms of I would do it now. But Chris, do you think there's any pressure? Because he is, you know, he's a VP of the the NBA Players Association, right? Is there any pressure from the Players Association for him to wait a little bit and, you know, get the bigger contract come free agency so the next guy gets an even bigger contract after that? Is there any pressure there? No, I don't think there comes, you know, the way the Players Union operates is everybody makes the decision that's best for them. And, you know, Grant Williams and his agent probably know that there's a chance that there's a massive offer waiting for him somewhere else next offseason. But... Grant may really like it in Boston. He may really like his role with the Celtics. And he may decide that, you know, a bird in the hand is pretty good. You know, guaranteed money is guaranteed money. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to leave those kind of dollars on the table because you never know what could happen. You never know if an injury could happen, an Achilles tear, an ACL tear, the kind of thing that would cost you money over the next couple of seasons. So I think if the if if the Celtics meet his price, Grant Williams is going to sign uh, with this team on an extension. Um, but the question is, will the Celtics come up that high or come up to where Grant Williams wants to be? Again, I would recommend it. I just think that Grant, wh- whatever they, they stop at now, whatever number causes them to balk now, I just feel like next summer it's going to be bigger. And they may mm-hmm. be presented with a situation where they have to match an offer that's bigger than the one that they were, weren't willing to go to. Sam Hauser is shooting 60% from three-point range in the preseason. I realize that is not sustainable, obviously, but he has been modeling, uh, he's, he's talked about this, modeling his game a little bit after some shooters specifically, Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, Joe Harris, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, who Celtics fans will remember from his brief time here. If we're looking purely at, I don't care about the future, if we're looking purely at this season and this opportunity that has been afforded to him now with Gallinari being out, what are realistic expectations for him in terms of minutes, being part of the rotation, shooting, like his his role, his success with this team? I think being part of the rotation is a reasonable expectation. Um, I remember, and I got killed for this at the end of last season, doing kind of wrap-up shows after the finals for NBC and writing about it a little bit. All I'd hear from Celtics uh, people were, watch out for Sam Hauser next year. They believed in Sam Hauser, like didn't do anything uh, but play garbage time minutes during the entirety of last season. But they they saw something in Sam Hauser. Maybe it is a Duncan Robinson type or a Max Struess type, but they saw a guy that can shoot the ball exceptionally well and can defend well enough to be on the floor. So I don't expect Sam Hauser to be the sixth man, seventh man, eighth man even, but ninth, tenth guy as someone that can come in and make shots for them, there's value in that. There's there's He's going to find his way out on the floor 
as a floor spacing three-point shooter. Now, I'm going to be watching for how he fits into their defensive schemes. Uh, look, this team makes its bones with great defense. That's what wins them. That's what got them to the finals, being a great defensive team. There can't be a big drop-off when Sam Hauser is in the game. I mentioned Duncan Robinson. Big reason he didn't play in the postseason last year is because the Heat couldn't rely on him defensively. You've got to be high-level defensively. So I'm curious to see early on the defensive numbers when Sam Hauser is in the game. They're still, if they're on the same level that they are with him out of the game, the Celtics might really have something there. But if there's a drop-off, you know that Joe Mazzulla and that coaching staff is not going to allow that to happen. They're going to they're going to go with better defense over better offense every time. In a roundabout way, we uh, we did hit on most of the Twitter questions that we had going into the show. We didn't get to everything, but we, you know, the main talking points, obviously, going into the new season. I know Chris is about out of time as well. Ev, any parting thoughts? I'm just jacked up that basketball is there. I can't believe it happened that quickly. <laughs> we went from the dead zone to, you know, next week, here we go. So I'm, I'm just thrilled we're back at it. That's all. Just for giggles, Chris, how about a uh, – a- a formal prediction for you if you've gotten that far in your head. Number of wins and how far they go. I would peg them at, let's say, 55 wins. And wow. right now I've got them in the conference finals. It's a question of, I just like Milwaukee a lot. And I just, you know, that that's a team that has all the pieces and has won a championship with that group. And I look at Giannis this year too, guys, like – there's something about Giannis right now. Like, I, I feel like Giannis is going to have a big, big season this year. I mean, he was kind of dismissed as an MVP candidate last year, despite the fact that he continues to put up these monster numbers. I think Giannis is going to have a big year. I think Middleton's going to have a big year. I think Holiday's going to have a big year. When Joe Ingles comes back from this injury, I think he's going to be a factor for them offensively. Great ball mover, great playmaker. That, to me, was a steal this offseason. As I mentioned, I do think John Horst in that front office is out for something else. One more kind of wing player, maybe a wing defender like a Jay Crowder to try to get their hands on uh, before the trade deadline. That team scares me the most. There's other teams with more explosive talent, more high-profile talent, like the Sixers and the Nets, but the Bucks play like a team, and they know how to play together. And that's that, to me, is the scariest team out there for the Celtics. Ev, what about you? Well, I mean, I, I agree with Chris in the sense that I think Giannis is going to be insane. Um you know, I'm just curious whether, you know, at the end of the day, Boonehoser's defense is going to let them shoot as many threes as they want. And it's tough to live by and die by that sometimes, as we find out with Grant Williams. But I, I, I sort of agree. Hard to get back to the final series in a row if Milwaukee's healthy. They have the best player on the planet. So it's going to be really hard to do that. Um, and Giannis is, I mean, I'm in awe every time I watch him play. And I don't think Boston is anybody on that level yet. Maybe Tatum, this is this year for him, but you know Giannis is going to give you 35 every game, so you just kind of have to buckle up. If it's only Giannis, it maybe won't be so bad, but, you know, you can't bank on injuries either. But I think Chris is I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, though, like, you know, I, I kind of hinted at it, but I think Tatum wins MVP this year. I think he All is. All right. The, yeah, look, Not in the conversation, oh. but I think I There's think your headline for the show, Ev. That's it. Done. I think he's the MVP. I, I just – look, I, I just love everything I heard about the work he put in this offseason, and I know how motivated – I know how motivated he is to be the MVP. I reported this back in February when I was doing a story on Joel Embiid, but he called Embiid because they have they share the same trainer and they they have a friendship. And he said to him back then, said, look, you better win MVP this year because I'm coming to get it next year. <laughs> uh, like he's got that kind of fire yeah. in his belly to win this award. And I think the combination of Tatum's individual skills 
and the success the Celtics going to have as a team is going to give him his best shot to win it, and I think he ultimately does. Well, Jokic is deserving as he definitely was last year. He's not going to win three in a row, so it's the other guys he's got to worry about. I'll go. Uh, I'll go fifty-three wins on account of the injuries. You know, dip that number down a little bit closer, probably where the line is. And I, I also agree, conference finals. And uh, my seven-year-old has told me he wants to be honest for Halloween. So, just goes to show where things stand in my household right now. But uh, uh, for Evan, I'm Adam. Chris, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Uh, when do we bug you next? Uh, you can catch me in two years. We'll okay, up. perfect. <laughs> again, the great white buffalo. Chris Vanek again in the show in, uh, in 2024. <laughs> thanks to John behind the scenes producing and, uh, thanks to all you watching and listening. We'll catch you again soon. It's been Celtics Beat. Great review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We'll see you later. <laughs>